I tested positive for COVID this week, and I take great pride in having an unbroken streak of almost 140 weeks of recording these new, fresh episodes every week. And I did it this week, too, although we did it on Zoom um, with my new buddy, Lauren Widrick. Uh, uh, we'll tell you more about Lauren in a minute. I, ha- I have some really good news, a couple of really great things that happened this week. Um, the COVID is, you know, the fever broke last night, and I got meds from my doc, and um, I'm hopeful about it, but I'm staying away from people, even Lorraine. Um, the two great things were on Friday afternoon, I got a phone call from my alma mater, Vanderbilt University, saying that I was in the 2022 class being inducted into the Vanderbilt University Student Media Hall of Fame. And there's some people who've made it really, really big in media in this. And so it's it's very... Um, I suppose it's a cliche to say humbling, but it's really kind of head spinning. Um, and my buddy Katz, uh, Kathleen, Kathleen Ann Turner Smith, Katz, uh, Katz Smith Barry, um, put me up for it. A superb photojournalist who was there in the early days of USA Today, flew on the jet with Al Newharth. <laughs> who called himself a son of a bitch. And um, so there's a lot of history there. And uh, Katz is a dear friend, and I, I owe it all to her. Um, so this week's episode, oh, and the other great thing was I uh, got a couple of clients at my new much higher prices for Voice Locket. So we're on our way. We're off. Um, we're off and launched on Voice Locket, uh, and I'm hugely grateful to them. So now, Lauren Widrick. That first moment of meeting Sarah, the life coach, and her saying, what do you want? And it was such a hard question to answer because I'm like, I, I don't know. Am I allowed to want what I want? This is In Her Words, a podcast from manlisting.com, featuring one man listening to the stories of real women in their own words. In Her Words, a conversation worth hearing because every woman deserves to be heard. Hey there, I'm Stuart Watson. Welcome to In Her Words. Uh, And her words this week are Lauren Widrick, who had one career as an investment banker in the big banks with the sea of gray cubicles, the gray cubicle village, and then took off and charted her own way. And I hugely respect her for that. Lauren founded something recently called The Squad, uh, which is basically a business networking group. I showed up at the first one and it was 12 women and me. So I was right at home. And Lauren is a, a great business coach, cheerleader, and you'll hear her say it, she comes by it honestly. Um, my buddy Lauren Widrick. Where were you born? I was born in Sunnyvale, California, and my mom went through something like 36 hours of labor only to have an emergency C-section. So I say she gave birth twice. (laughs) Were you her first? I was. And my birthday is April Fool's Day. Yes. Which explains a lot. My younger sister, Lee, is two and a half years younger. 
Although a lot of people think we're twins because we look pretty much identical. Wow. Mm -hmm. Were you dressed the same? No, we just have the same face. (laughs) Did people mix you up? No, no, because we were a couple years apart, but now it's a fun party trick. Like we were at a wedding in New Mexico a couple of weeks ago and we were kind of, you know, running around telling people we were twins for fun. Did you ever uh, like go on a date for her or she for you <laughs> or take a test for her or anything? No, but I should have. That would have been cool. I did give her my um, my driver's license to use as a fake ID in college and she had the world's best fake ID. Oh, that's amazing. She had lots of friends. Yes. Amazing and illegal in hindsight, but it (laughs) made her college experience more fun, I think. That's the kind of big sister you were. (laughs) Um, Did you grow up there in sunny California? And was it in fact sunny as advertised? You know, I lived there until I was nine. Well, Sunnyvale and then San Ramon, California, which is now Silicon Valley. And I haven't really been back since childhood, but I really grew up in Columbus, Ohio. So I lived in California from zero to nine and then moved in fourth grade to Ohio, the Midwest, which was very different. And that's where I feel I grew up because I don't remember that much from California. I don't have a great long-term memory. Like my husband will tell me about, my husband ran into somebody here in Charlotte at a bar that he hadn't seen since kindergarten. And he goes, oh, that's Travis. We went to kindergarten together. Oh my God. And I'm like, I don't remember anything about kindergarten. And you recognize somebody advanced 30 years later, right? Right. <laughs> so Ohio, Ohio, in my heart, I grew up in Ohio. What took your parents from California to Ohio? His dad's job. What Career was that? opportunity. So my dad works in IT. He came up through the insurance industry. And then during that time, information technology emerged as a thing, right? Computers, mainframes, that was his job. And I ended up doing the same. I ended up majoring in information systems in college. And we've always wondered if that was a coincidence or that was like (laughs) his influence on me. Favorite class in high school that you still are like, that teacher was (laughs) the best. I love that. I, I just could do it all day long. You know what? I didn't really love any class in high school. I loved my AP calculus teacher because he was my lacrosse coach. Ah. But high school was not my favorite. I would say college was my favorite. Where did you go to college? So I went to college at Ohio University. And I went there for the business school, not Ohio State, but Ohio University is. You always have to say that. You do, because a lot of people are like, oh, Buckeyes. And I grew up in Columbus where Buckeyes is a religion, but I went to OU instead, which was not where I thought I'd end up because it kept getting voted the number one party school in Playboy magazine. And that's <laughs> not see, why Playboy I went. Playboy was this magazine. Yes. Now so, you have yes. to explain. Playboy was this magazine. Yes. So they kept <laughs> voting OU as the number one party school. And my parents were a little skeptical, I think. Like, really, you want to go there? Because I had big ambitions. I had big ambitions of becoming a CEO someday. I wanted to get a business degree and go do that. But I went and visited. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, Stuart, but we drove onto that campus and I just got a full body sensation. Like, I'm home. I belong here. This is where I need to be. So do you think you were attracted sort of to the math, like the mathematical mind, the coding and the puzzle solving and that kind of thing uh, because you got your dad's genes or because he 
did kind of puzzles and games with you? Good question, because he did those things with me. But the answer is, hell no. I actually hate all that stuff. <laughs> I'm not a left brain person, Stuart. Like I got to OU and very first day of college, they take you into business. You know, you've joined the College of Business 101. These are the 10 majors you can choose from. My major was declared as marketing because I love words. I love psychology. I love imagery. I love creativity, all of that stuff. But on that list of 10 majors, it had the lowest starting salary of like $28,000 on average. This is in the mid to early 2000s. But then there was this other major at the top called information systems. Never heard of it. Didn't know what that was really. Even though my dad worked in IT, I, I still didn't know what it was. But that starting salary was like $42,000 on average. So I was like, well, <laughs> we gonna do that one. So I ended up adding that as a second major and went down that track. Was there something about information systems other than the money that appealed to you? Like, what did you find interesting about that work? Nothing. <laughs> I mean that, Stuart. I picked it for the money and it worked. I graduated in 2005. It was a very hot job market in 2005, <laughs> right? Um, got a job at Wachovia Bank in Charlotte, North Carolina, and my starting salary was like $52,000. And as a 22-year-old girl, that might as well have been $50 million. I felt like I was a baller. thought I was Carrie Bradshaw and Sex in the City moving down here. But I never liked my job. My first job out of college was finding bugs in software. So going through lines of code. And I was a software tester. It was so boring. Right? And I did that. I went up that path for a decade, a decade and a half. And I made my way up through management eventually. So worked in banking through the banking crisis. And I did everything I could to not sit in front of that computer and find bugs in software. So I, I became a leader and I had teams of people doing that. Now, this is interesting because there's some people who, because of the money, they will spend 30 years at something because it puts food on the table and they're scared to do anything else. Mm -hmm. So what caused you to leave that? Good question. So I had been in banking, I guess about 10 or 11 years at this point, making my way up through the ranks. So this was 2013. I had a big team. I actually had a big team of about 60 people under me on three continents. So some in India, some in London and across the US, San Francisco, Minneapolis and Charlotte. So it was a good job and I was making good money, but I was getting a little burned out on it. And so this is the law of attraction. This is manifestation stuff. I just said to myself one day, I am officially going to start looking for a job. And I apparently clicked on some guy's profile on LinkedIn that I used to work with who now owned a recruiting firm. So here comes a message in my inbox. Hey, Lauren, I saw your name pop up on LinkedIn. How have you been? And I said, funny, you're reaching out. I actually am starting to think about putting some feelers out. So we had coffee and he said, there's this company you need to check out. It's this small tech firm. You can come and actually start a department doing what you do with the big bank. Yes, dream job, right? So I did that. I took the leap. I moved to the small tech company. It was so sexy. It was so different from big banking, right? And we'd been through the banking crisis, which was harrowing and, and crazy, right? And so coming to the small startup feeling company was very sexy to me. 
So I walk into work and this company is owned by these two like charismatic alpha males that I was very enamored of. Like <laughs> these guys were awesome. They started this, you know, this multi, multi-million dollar tech company, just these two guys. And now it's grown to hundred employees and tens of millions of dollars in revenue. So I was very, um, Starstruck might be a little dramatic, but I was like, this is so cool. This is very entrepreneurial, right? And the office was not the gray cubicle farm of, of Wells Fargo. It was like funky decorations and cool techie nerds writing code. So, and I was given a big job there. I mean, I had direct access to these two founders. I reported to one of them. We used to have breakfast all the time. Like, I just felt like I was rolling with big dogs. 18 months later, I got unceremoniously fired from that company. <laughs> Were you bitter about that? Yes. Yes. I was, I was fired. I was bitter. I have a buddy who's been on this podcast who said, rejection is God's redirection, but you probably don't regard it that way when you're in the, in the middle moment. of it. Um, what was your redirection from that firing? So it ultimately led me to the business I have today and a repairing of my marriage. And I can see that now. So what I did was I licked my wounds. I went back to the bank, <laughs> the place that I left and escaped. Even more of an ego hit, I went back as a contractor. So I just left a, a director position at this tech company. And then prior to that at the bank, I led this big team of 60 people. So I'm back as a project manager. Was the work load and that kind of thing. Did it have something to do with the marriage, with stressing the marriage? hundred percent. So, you know, going through the banking crisis, having our first baby, that was stressful moving, you know, out of Charlotte to the suburbs in South Carolina, all of that was stressful, but this, here's why it was so stressful, Stuart. Working at that tech company wrecked my confidence. I allowed it to wreck my confidence because I had never really failed that hard before. It was my first dose of real failure. I mean, and I didn't get fired for lack of trying. I was really, really trying to succeed and get the things done they wanted me to get done, but I just couldn't. I was out over my skis. And so I was working later and later hours with, and they were getting more and more frustrated with me. And the owners, I mean, the owners of this tech company were like getting more disenchanted with me. I was trying even harder to impress them and get validation. And like, I promise you, I'm going to fix this. And it just didn't work out. I was drinking, drinking a ton, not being a good mom. You know what I mean? I was working late and then coming home and drinking the wine and going out at all hours. Like I was not being a good human to my family. And it was a couple months after that, that I finally reached out to a life coach that I had made contact with a few months prior. What made this one a game changer in your experience? Well, you know this one. It's Sarah Olin. It's the person who oh my God. It's the person who introduced you and I. Oh my God. She's a good one. Oh, she is so dialed in. She's amazing. That's what I'm saying. And she is a traditionally trained life coach. And I know that because she went on to train me <laughs> in life yeah. coaching. She just has a, a warm but yet direct energy. And this is going to sound so simple, you're going to laugh at it, Stuart. But she just said, What do you really want? And in the past, I used to say things like, well, I want to get this next promotion and I want to get a $15,000 raise and I want to increase my team size from 40 to 60. Like I would just say this bullshit that I, that was just what was in front of me, but wasn't what I wanted. I said, I would love to do what you do, Sarah, but is it a real job? 
<laughs> which in hindsight is kind of an offensive question to ask somebody who's doing it. But I just came up through business school and came up through investment banking. And like, can I really start my own business motivating people and helping them get unstuck? Is that a real thing? Well, the question is, do you want a real job? Because most real jobs suck. You know? Right. And every job comes with its crap you don't want to do. Even my current job, even owning my own business, I do crap I don't want to do. But that job in banking and even the tech company had no meaning for me. I don't care about bank software enough to dedicate 60 hours a week to it. I just don't care. Right? What do you care about in this coaching arena? I have always wanted to unlock potential in people and maybe more importantly, have them enjoy the process. It sounds too simple to be serious. And that first, like that first moment of meeting Sarah, the life coach and her saying, what do you want? And it was such a hard question to answer. Cause I'm like, I, I don't know. Am I allowed to want what I want? Am I allowed to want to be a life coach? What are my parents going to think? What are my banking friends going to think? What's my husband going to think? Am I allowed to he, want? What did he think? I mean, I think he thought it was a little interesting. Like he'd never heard of this. Although he is the one that introduced me to Sarah. I will say that. This was maybe eight years ago. Sean was just starting a sales career. So he was going to all the networking events and the BNI groups. And he met Sarah, same with Sarah. She was growing her practice as a solopreneur coach. And he came home and he was like, I met this woman that I think you should meet. And I was laughing. I was like, he's never really done that before. Been like, you need to meet this other woman. I'm like, is he trying to set up a threesome? Like, what? what is this? Like, why are you trying to introduce me <laughs> to this funny. other woman? <laughs> That's very funny. Oh my I God. I made that joke to Sarah. She's laughing. I mean, we, we make jokes like that all the time. But I met her and I got the feels for her. And so I think he kind of understood it. But I came out the gate with such veracity. I was like, I'm doing this. I met Sarah. I'm going to go get trained as a life coach. There's a program in New York City. It's a year long. It's like $17,000, which we don't like have laying around handy, but I'm doing this. I'm going to sign up for it. Do you have any objections? It was such, such clarity that he was like, get it. I mean, yes, if, that, if this is what you want, go do it. Hi, I'm Dr. Kim, the parentologist. As a wife, mom, therapist, and all around juggler like most of you, I lead a hectic life. And sometimes that means indulging in foods on the go that my stomach doesn't always agree with. Thankfully, Pepto-Bismol provides me fast and effective relief for all kinds of upset stomachs. Having a little too many guilty pleasures at a family barbecue or birthday celebration may lead to indigestion or heartburn, so I always keep Pepto on hand to get fast relief when I need it the most. Pepto-Bismol, use as directed and keep out of reach of children. It did change your life, this, this yes. coaching training. And it was kind of a cult. Yes. Yeah, I get it. But you, but I mean, you didn't sell all your worth, worldly possessions or anything. No, I didn't drink any Kool-Aid. It consumes your whole life. It did for that year. Um, and I have mixed emotions about the program that I chose. I just chose it because Sarah was a leader there and she is amazing. And I wanted to like, whatever Kool-Aid she was drinking, I wanted to drink that Kool-Aid because she was just luminous and still is, Right. I don't believe you need to spend $17,000 in a year to get certified to become a coach. I really don't. Now I am a business coach and I teach sales and revenue models. I would not recommend anybody do that. 
pre-revenue. What do you think? The, what do you think the the most direct route is? <laughs> to start coaching people. <laughs> yeah, but then there's certification too, right? Yeah, I um, I'm disenchanted with coaching certifications. Yeah, and because, here's why. Because of the some metrics? of the most well, some of the most talented and successful coaches I know don't have certifications. And then conversely, I know a butt ton of people who paid a lot of money to get certified and are no longer practicing. Hmm. That's the data in front of me. But they may be using it, using the skill set in whatever it is they're doing. Surely. Yeah, that may be true. Yep. Right. So here's the thing. In hindsight, I would not, if I were starting my business over today, knowing what I know, I would go get, I would start with like the minimum viable amount of training. I think a little bit of training is useful. There is a methodology to this. I would go to like a three month program or a couple of weekend retreats or something to get the basic skills. But here's why I believe in the universe or God or destiny, whatever you want to call it, because I got pregnant unexpectedly during month two of my coach training program. And I always say to Sean, that program was a little bit of a cult. I wouldn't have spent $17,000, but man, it kept me in the game. Because if I had not made that investment, I would have gotten pregnant with our second baby and been like, screw this. This is not the time to start a business. And I would have put the whole thing on the back burner until after the baby. But I didn't because I was locked into a year long training program that just happened to end two months after the baby was born. So I, I think that. that was God's hand intervening by saying like, look, this program, you might roll your eyes at it a little bit, but it kept you in the game. So what were your big takeaways from that? The biggest takeaway I got from coach training was 100% responsibility. You have to take 100% responsibility for your life. Nobody else is going to save you. It's nobody else's fault that you are where you are. And that's what I think ultimately repaired the marriage too. It came up so much because I, my victim story is a little bit of a cushier victim story than some of my classmates. Like some of them had been through real trauma and they had, I don't want to call their traumatic experiences, victim stories, but they were still, still living in that narrative. Mine were a little bit cushier. They were like, look, I don't have time to grow my coaching practice because I work in investment banking. I have a two-year-old daughter. I'm pregnant. I'm traveling to New York city from Charlotte. All you fools live here. Like my life is so much, so busy. And, you know, I have a two hour commute every day. Like I'm so busy. And the coaches were finally like, you chose all that. You don't have to live an hour from your workplace. You don't even have to continue working there. Right. You, yes, you're pregnant, but you can carve 30 minutes a day for your business. Or you could get a different job or like there were so many, you can lobby to work from home. You have choices. You're not a victim of your life, especially when you chose everything. And I was so pissed when they said that. I was so pissed, <laughs> but they were so right. So this showed up in the marriage repair because I had really put a dent in our marriage, honestly, with my prioritizing work and drinking and bad coping mechanisms and it was a blessing. Like we weren't expecting to have a second baby. I don't know if our marriage could have handled a second baby. We were like, we're done. We've got this one beautiful daughter. Like another baby would be like throwing gasoline on the fire, but I got, you know, God's hand intervened and ended up with Sloan. Sloan's our second daughter. And she is like, there's something about her. 
she has like miracle dust all around her. She was my little business partner. She flew with me in the tummy to New York City every month, right? She forced, maybe is the right word, me to get sober immediately, right? So I find out I'm pregnant and drinking is a major issue for me. And I'm like, here she comes, right? I'm not drinking anymore. I'm taking this coach training program. It was part of the transformation, but back to the 100% responsibility. So I would come to these coaching sessions and these weekends and talking about my husband and what he said to me and what he didn't say to me and what he did or didn't do. And I'm mad about something. And these coaches were like, you can stay mad. That's your choice. But what if you got curious? What if you got compassionate? What if you just listened? You know, like you have three or four or five or a million other options than just needing to be self-righteous. And like, he said this and that's the wrong thing. It's quite possible he's hurting. Or it's quite possible that he's right and you're unwilling to listen to that point of view. So that 100% responsibility for your, your mind and your choices has changed my life. Beautiful. Love it. Good on you. You, you got it. You Thanks. Got it. Yeah. As far as the coaching method they teach you at this coaching school, I think it's very odd. I don't exactly employ it in my business today. I've since, just let me say that there are tons of courses that go with this coaching. For instance, I took one called um, the Positivity Quotient or PQ. Okay. Fascinating. And another one in the Enneagram that can help you in recognizing that you don't communicate to everyone the exact same way that people have vastly different personalities and approaches to a problem and that you can't talk to every single person on your team the same way you can't communicate so it's all good stuff it's all to the good you know do you know your enneagram number oh yeah what is it well do you think you know my enneagram number i have no idea but i'm super curious um it's a two, which is a giver. Yeah. Um, the bad news is people pleasing, trying to be everybody's friend. The good news mm -hmm. is I really am a friend. I really will pick you up at the airport. So I told you mine. What's, what's Lauren Widrick's number? So mine is the seven, which is the enthusiast. It's called a couple other things. Like I've heard yours, the giver, also called the helper. Yeah. So enthusiast. At the highest level, it means you're positive, you're mm. encouraging. And so at the lowest level, what's the, what's the problem with the enthusiast? Oh, my God. Okay. I'm so glad you bring this up because when I discovered the Enneagram, hearing these problems made me feel seen for the first time. So at the highest, you are a visionary. You are the one who lifts the vibration in the room. You have all the ideas. You're an adventurer. So you love to travel and make plans. At the lowest, the core, core, core lowest is avoidance of pain at all costs. By being busy, it's, busy, busy? Um, for instance, it's, it tends to be an addictive personality type. So one way to avoid pain is to numb out with alcohol and drugs. That's one way it manifests, and it has for me. Um, the other is we suck at follow through. So we start 
a million projects. I'm talking like <laughs> we got 10 projects going at once, all of which are half-baked and unfinished. Like this manifests for me with communication with my friends. I'll text them and be like, do you guys want to get together sometime? And they'll all text back and be like, yes, when? And then I don't follow through <laughs> to get it scheduled. And they get so the, very the frustrated. Through, yeah. And so we love the, we love future possibilities, but execution uh-huh. is not our strong suit. And then we get overwhelmed with all of the half-baked things we have in motion. So we numb out. It's all about pain avoidance. So, so high desire for pleasure, low threshold for pain. And that's helpful. That's useful information because do you catch yourself doing it? Every day. And that's the only way you can pivot if when you go, Lauren, you're doing it again. <laughs> yeah, I have a fabulous coach, Jessica Lackey. So she's the COO of the squad, which is the community that I run. She's been my client. And then of course, like I do with so many people, I got to know her and I was like, oh my God, I need her. I need to hire her for my own business. And so she is teaching me radical focus, better, fewer commitments. And that's her phrase. I can't take credit for it. Better, fewer commitments, which is why in the last, gosh, six months, I have shed everything in my business except this one product, the Grab Life by the Goal Squad. And it's taking all, like every fiber of my being is fighting that because I want to like, launch a course and like launch a merchandise line. And like, like I want to do all these things because they excite me, get on TikTok or whatever. And she is like, no, bitch, no, like focus. You know, I heard this acronym the other day, focus, finish one concept until successful. <laughs> Love it. I'm writing that down. Finish one, one concept, concept until successful. Successful. The person who said this, gosh, I'm going to have to look her up to give her proper credit. She said, finish one course until successful. And then I extrapolated that to finish one concept. I Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Focus, focus. I read something about Enneagram twos. Let me know if this resonates with you because it may or may not, but it said at their highest, they are ultra generous, right? Always have a tendency to help and to give and to step up for people. Right. And at the lowest, they do it for the recognition of doing it. They want to be seen as a helper. People take you for granted. You know, it's a it, self-pity. It leads to self-pity. Nobody appreciates me. Look at all I do and no one appreciates me. That's exactly what I read. So, so I mean, every Enneagram number has the highest and the lowest manifestation. Yes. There's like a spectrum. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good so stuff. So fascinating. Yeah. My husband is a five, which I forget the name of the five, but it's the introverted data nerd. Mm-hmm. It's not what it's actually called, but I can't remember the name of it. So at the highest, they are like brilliant, which he is like brilliant. They dive deep into topics. They learn, they love to learn. They love to go inward. And at the lowest, they can be smug know-it-alls. Mm. <laughs> yeah. There's these self-awareness, these different lenses through which you can know yourself are, are very useful. Yeah. So you started out on one path and then you um, created this new squad. Um, what was the path you started out on and then what caused you to pivot to go toward creating the squad and grab life by the goals? So in 2016, as a side hustle, I started off with that coach training program in New York City and took my first clients. So early 2016, I had two people paying me $600 a month each, which was fabulous. And I had the side hustle. 
I thought I was going to be out of corporate within six months because I was off to such a good start getting, you know, I got a third client shortly thereafter, but I also got knocked up. And so what I did was I ultimately decided to stay at the bank on benefits through the pregnancy and the birth and the breastfeeding and all of that. So I side hustled as a life coach for two and a half years. And I want your listeners to know that because if they are working on a goal that's taking so much freaking longer than they hoped, me too. <laughs> I thought, it, I mean, I, gosh, I missed my goal by like four or 500%. But during that time when I was, you know, touting myself as a life coach, most of my clients were senior leaders in corporate. So I decided to rebrand myself as an executive coach because I thought it sounded fancier and more important. And I thought I could get more money. And so I did that. I was doing executive coaching. I finally leapt out in 2018, the middle of 2018, to do this full-time. And what I found pretty soon after that is people didn't want life coaching. People didn't want executive coaching. They wanted to know how the hell I did it. How the hell did you escape your big investment banking income and replace it with a solopreneur coaching business? Because they wanted to do it too. They wanted to do it too. They wanted to start their thing, grow it to the tipping point and leap out. So third iteration of the business at this point, okay, cool. I'm a business coach. I'm going to teach people how to start side hustles and a very particular type of side hustle, not just like reselling things on eBay for $200 a month. I'm talking, you got to replace a multi six figure salary with this business. So Slay Your Side Hustle was born and I did that for a few years, 90 day program to go from concept to cash flow. Then those people graduated and they're like, cool, I started my business. I need to grow to six figures. I'm like, shit, I better offer them something else. Sales training. So I created this program called Sales Swagger, which is a six-month mastermind that focused really on high-ticket sales. So I ran those two programs for a couple of years, and they were really successful. But I was getting a little burned out on them because I'm like, look, is this really my mission? Am I really meant to be a side hustle coach? Like this kind of just happened. But I don't think being a side hustle coach is the ultimate purpose here. Now, I want to, this could be a huge benefit if we pause right there about selling high-ticket items. Because sure. you know that I've gone from charging $1,000 to 10. Yes, and, it's amazing. And now, uh, that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Everybody will say, that's really expensive. I can't afford it, blah, blah, blah. How do you coach people through? What is the biggest hurdle for people asking for what they are worth? Yes, it's shifting from a taking mentality to a giving mentality. When we raise our prices, we feel guilty that we're taking more than we're giving. And because we're good people, we don't want to do that. And when you realize that raising your price is actually a gift by excluding the people who aren't ready to work with you at that level and saving those people some time and also attracting people who are going to value the hell out of your service, right? Like if I wanted to create an heirloom video of my grandparents, would I pick the guy who's charging $1,000 or $10,000? I would, I would 100% choose you because I know you're going to shepherd this properly. That's a gift. That is a gift. Took me a long time to see that. Right. They don't see the value in what it is. And that's cool. It's when I. It doesn't mean it's not valuable. Right. It's just like, it's just not for you. 
Yeah, I have a, a coach named JJ and she does pricing strategy. She's, she's in the squad. If you haven't met her yet, she's brilliant. She told me a story about Peloton. When Peloton was first released, I don't know how much a Peloton bike is, but it was released at like 500 bucks, you know, on par with the other bikes you get at Dick's Sporting Goods and wasn't really selling that well. So in the background, somebody came in and was like, y'all need to triple your price. Don't change the product. Don't re-engineer it. Don't change anything but the price. And so they tripled the price. And now it's selling like hotcakes because of the perceived value. We don't want a dime a dozen bike. We want it like an experience. We want to be able to say we have a Peloton. The brand has value. Yes. And your brand, Voice Locket, has value. It is an heirloom quality. Like to me, within moments of meeting you, I was like, oh my God, this is very unique. This is very special. This is very boutique. This is very concierge. Yeah. I mean, I get an Emmy and Peabody award-winning journalist interviewing my, my grandmother, like, whoa. Well, I had a buddy in the upstate of South Carolina and his day job was to run a beer warehouse. And his side hustle was he did wedding videos. And his business market was, I am the most expensive wedding videographer in the upstate of South Carolina. And if I even hear somebody's getting close to my prices, I raise them. It's great. Says, because you will look better than you've ever looked in your life or ever will look when I'm done with this video. But it's going to take me three months to finish the editing. But once you do, it'll be the best there is. And he found that people who pay more actually complain less. That's 100% true. I've seen that with my clients and I've been that client. I was at one point paying my sales coach $37.50, as in $3,750 a month. But I wasn't up her ass. I like, I messaged her when I needed her, but I wasn't like constantly blowing her up. And then same with my clients. When I was first doing um, my courses, and it was I was worth charging, it. it was worth it to you. It was totally worth it. I mean, you got to see that she helped you generate far more than $3,700. Absolutely. And we have clients in the squad who are like interior designers. Yes. And what they find is that when they raise their price, we had one go from, she did like e-design for a few hundred dollars to like luxury full service for like five to 10 to $15,000. Yes. Those luxury design clients don't want to be involved. They're like, I am paying you this amount of money to handle this for me. Yes. Whereas the $500 clients are like all up in your business. Like, can I please keep this plan? Can I please keep this? And she's like, oh my God, you want people who trust you. Yeah. It's like for that price, you don't <laughs> get to be high maintenance. Like if you want to be high maintenance, you should be paying a whole lot more. You know? And as the service provider, it might be um, instant gratification to close. Like you might close a deal at like $1,500 and you're like, okay, who I'm temporarily soothed that I got a little bit of money, but now you've got to deliver this really, really high touch service for $1,500, which is going to be not profitable and resent. You're going to feel a little bit of resentment toward that. Right. Yeah. I'd rather get, I'd rather have 10 sales calls with nine no's. Those only take about 30 minutes each. No, 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 no. Right. You've saved yourself from months or weeks or months of delivery. 
that 10th person says, yes, you've got one client, you can pour into them and you get your $10,000. Absolutely. It's just a better business model, but you have to resist the instant, like, you know, the eating the marshmallow experiment. Like you have to resist the urge for instant gratification and hold out for those profitable dream clients. It's hard. Tell the story about, tell the story about you. You weren't asking enough. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I told this at a sales workshop. So shortly after I left corporate, I mentioned I was doing like executive style coaching. So I was courting companies in town saying like, let me come in and either be your team's executive coach or I'll do workshops or whatever for you. So there's a, um, a tech unicorn, a billion dollar value company here in Charlotte that I got an inroad with the COO. And so I was like, he said they were going to do an offsite meeting. I'm like, okay, great. So I wrote up a little proposal, a pitch for a two day meeting that was $6,000 a day. And you better believe my butt cheeks were clenched right up saying six. That sounded like so much money to me, $6,000 a day. I'm going to make $12,000 in two days. And he looked at my proposal and I knew him a little bit personally. So he was loose enough to say like, oh my God, he literally said, oh honey. (laughs) (laughs) Said, honey, let, let me tell you something because I, I knew his wife. That's how I got in the door because you're, you know, Susan, um, you are up against companies that are, are giving us $25,000 a day proposals. We're not even going to look at, like, I can't even take this forward. And he said, basically like, come back when you have like market rates <laughs> or as I took that to mean, come back when you have your big girl panties on. So he, I, he, he did you a huge favor. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, he did. Just me hearing that story gave me a lot more confidence. I mean, $25,000 a day sounded like an insane amount of money to me. And I had imposter syndrome. You know, I've only been doing this full time for, you know, a couple months and blah, blah, blah. Never mind. I'd been a, a young female director on the trading floor of a global bank and at a tech company. Like, never mind that. I was focusing on the negative, my lack of experience. Louis Vuitton buyers don't want a knockoff. This company did not want some inexperienced chick who wasn't confident in her service. If I had come in at 20,000, I bet I would have closed it because I knew them. But he was like, I literally can't take this forward. This is Bush League. (laughs) So I lost the deal. But you gained a huge lesson. I did. I did. Love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. There, there are a lot of people out there who are tired of the cubicle farm and they know they have a certain discrete skill because people keep telling them. There's a market for everything. I will never forget, God, maybe six or seven years ago, I read an article about somebody who flipped Smurf figurines on eBay <laughs> and made like eight hundred thousand dollars a year. <laughs> now that's a discreet skill. <laughs> and I'm like, if this fool can make almost a million dollars flipping Smurfs, like there's a market for everything and everyone. No matter mm-hmm. what it is, there are people who are experts in it. Well, yeah. that's so. Let me like long way around the park to get back to how did I form the squad? Yeah. So I'm going to be very open kimono about this. I like borderline love business coaching, but I still don't think it's my ultimate purpose. I don't think it's my ikigai or my dharma or whatever we call it. 
I love teaching sales, but it's not the end all be all for me. Because my ultimate purpose is not being the expert in the room. It's being the raiser of vibration, the chief vibration officer. What does that mean? I think it just means making people happier. I've done so much coaching work on the core values and I've tried to come up with ones that have more gravitas than that. Like, I think my role on earth, my icky guy is to help people be happier. And to do that by raising your vibration. So if you are in imposter syndrome, you're mad at yourself, you're beating yourself up. You've had some failures under your belt. You're pissed at the world. You're pissed at yourself. I want to help with that. And some of the ways I help are deep coaching. And some of the ways are not very high-minded. They're just dirty dick jokes. And (laughs) there is a moment for all of it. So that's how the squad was born. I found, so all these people took Slayer Side Hustle and all these people took Sales Swagger. And this like community was born because I look up and I'm like, oh my God, we're all on each other's podcasts. And we're all hiring the same CFO and we're all hiring her to be our COO. And we're all hiring her for PR. Like we've created this micro economy accidentally. That was never my intention. I was just meant like, pay me, I'll coach you, cool. But people came through these, these groups And then they made friends. I see them out to lunch together, out having drinks together, traveling together. And I'm like, what did we create here? So we started kind of loosely calling it the squad, lack of a better name there, you know, there was no better name. And then early this year in 2022, I had some people kind of knock on my metaphorical door, like Instagram message or whatever, and say, I watch all you ladies. How do I join the squad? And I didn't have an answer. I was like, well, do you want to take slay your side hustle? And they're like, no, (laughs) I already have a business or like, No, I don't even have a business. I work in corporate, but I just want to be in the energy. And so I sat on my back porch one night. I did my final round of Slay Your Side Hustle as a standalone course earlier this year. And I slumped into a chair and I looked at my husband. I was like, this is my last round of Slay Your Side Hustle. What the hell am I going to do next? And he said this, he was like, do it all. You don't want to pick between speaking and coaching and networking and partying and traveling and retreats and events. Like, do it all. Make a membership where people can come get all of it or any of it from you and your squad. And he had just signed us up for something called Bodicey. It's a very similar setup to the squad, but for real estate investors. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I just plunked down $6,000 for us to join Bodicey. And it's got two calls a month and a free Facebook group of real estate investors. And I was like, you fucking spent $6,000 on that? (laughs) What? And I, and I, you know, I got into the Facebook group and I started and I'm like, yeah, I get, I get it. I get it. We need each other. So he's like, do a membership. That way, if people want coaching, they can get coaching. If people want to meet your PR firm or they want to meet your COO, like, cool. They can come in and network with them. You want to have events and retreats? Cool. They're included. You want to have a networking group and an online platform? Great. It's included. So when he said this to me, I felt more than anything in seven years of business. And I'm not exaggerating, Stuart. Like my body started tingling. Like I literally was set on fire and was like, thank you. The universe, God just spoke through my husband's lips, make a membership. And so that's what we did. We launched it in June and it's a one-stop shop for gold acceleration. That's all it is. If you got a business goal, sales, revenue growth, marketing, whatever, we got you, me and the fellow C-suite. Career goal, great. We've got career coaches. We've got a network. We'll hook you up. Life goal, you want to climb Mount Everest? You want to get fit? Cool. We've got all kinds of those experts too. It's just a one-stop shop. 
So there, there's my pitch for the squad. <laughs> Stuart's a member. Well, I've, I've really He's enjoyed amazing it. Amazing new member. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, it was because Sarah Olin said, I don't know that you need yet another coach. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of joining a group, being a part of a group of like-minded individuals who are kind of at the same place yep. and can say, share um, best practices, successes, and failures and mm -hmm. learn really more from the failures. You know, from I agree. I agree. And it's a relief, honestly, to not have to be the one and only expert in the room. So you've got good numbers, you know, have a dozen people in a room at any given time. I think so. As of right now, the squad launched about two months ago and we've got 40, check me on this, but something like 40 or 42 members. Mm -hmm. And what we find is because there's such a buffet of shit to do in the squad, like the sales workshop that you came to, Stuart, we had probably about 12 people. Mm -hmm. Not everybody needed it that day. So, you know, a fraction of them come to that. And then we had like a dance class and like three ladies came to that. Uh, but then we have a book club and five or six people come to that. So people pick and choose what they want and it stays pretty intimate. Although real talk, I will be, I am growing this thing. Right. So my ideal squad size is between 100 and 120. Mm -hmm. But we have this concept of subgroups. So we've got like a subgroup for real estate investors, for paid speakers, for so sober and sober curious, like people who are on a wellness journey. Like there's these little subgroups in our online platform that you can join and find your people. Right. Yeah. You're very good. I'm not at 100% because of the COVID, because I've had the first positive COVID test this morning. So I'm a little You've bit been amazing. I literally point. forgot. I forgot you tested positive for COVID. If this is you yeah. <laughs> yeah, sick. I can't, I can't imagine you well. Yeah. And I also talk too much. Um, no, you don't. No, you don't. Stop saying that. You're an amazing listener. Um, so if we get struck by lightning today and the only thing that survives is this little piece of digital audio, what is your legacy? Damn, I don't have like a polished answer for that. I'll put it to you this way. Who knows you better than anyone else in the world? My husband. Um, if he could speak at the funeral, what would he say about you? I think he would say, this is not me talking about myself. This is what I think he would say is that she lit up the room. She made everybody feel amazing about themselves. Because that is, God, that's what I love to do. I love to stand in front of somebody and say like, I see you. I see how incredible you are. Do you not see it? Like you deserve to be happy. You deserve to be wealthy. You deserve to be healthy. All the things that you want are yours. They're at your fingertips. And I'm here for you. I see it. How can I help you get there? That, my friend, is a hugely powerful message. Really? Well, I appreciate it. It's funny. In that crazy culty coach training program, we did this exercise about purpose. And it was like very deep, like almost meditative. You go down many, many layers. And the word that came out for me all these years ago was humanity. My purpose is to raise humanity. And other people have that same purpose. They do it through 
justice and service and message. You know, I mean, people have different ways of lifting humanity. I think mine has to do with fun and pleasure and not leaving any life on the table. That's what it is, Stuart. My core fear is being on my deathbed and being like, damn it. Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I try that? Why didn't I say that? Why didn't I eat that? I just want to slide into my deathbed being like, damn, that was a pretty good ride. Like we all, the whole squad, we all really did it up, didn't we? Beautiful. I feel privileged to be a part of it. Thank you for doing this. Of course. Anytime. You can find Lauren if you're interested, if you're interested in the squad, you can find her, Lauren Widrick, W-I-D-R-I-C-K. And the uh, program is called Grab Life by the Goals, G-O-A-L-S. Lauren Widrick, thank you so much. Help me just a ton. I appreciate it. In Her Words is a production of the Queen City Podcast Network in cooperation with Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative, Rachel Clapp Miller and Roshonda Pratt are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Katherine Smith. That's me. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review. It really helps others find us. If you love us, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening. One word, no spaces. A small investment makes a big difference in lifting up the voices of women. A huge shout out and thank you to everyone who has supported manlistening.com and In Her Words, the podcast from the very beginning. Thanks so much. Thank you for your support. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks so much.